What if you could have that guts, that bravery inside to get yourself and your life to the next level? Hi, this is Dr. Friedman and you're watching Empowerment Solutions. Hi, Leah. So nice to have you on Empowerment Solutions. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad that we're connecting. Well, me too. Me too. And uh, I have to say I got the book just today, but uh, it is really wonderful when you read a book and it feels like poetry and very important information at the same time. So it's like has mm -hmm. a certain kind of rhythm and music to it. And uh, yeah, it just was just a joy to delve into it. But I have a question about, uh -huh. you know, the title and of course, why you wrote it. I think you and I are people that write books because there is something personal about them. There is something yeah. that we really want to share with yeah. others. So why is that book so personal for you? Gutsy, being brave, ultimately. Yeah, I mean, I thank you for delving right in. And I'm so and thank you for the compliment. That means a lot, you know, when you write a book and it's out there and it's just nice to hear how it's landing on people um, and gutsy. The story of Gutsy, I think, was was something that I had wanted to write for a long time. So I'd always sort of had this idea of writing a book like this for a while because it felt like such an important thing to share with the world, you know, just sort of including, you know, from as a psychologist from like my psychology background and clinical stories, but also from my own personal story of how we can all be brave and learn to pay attention to what's keeping us stuck and then get unstuck. And so I think it was just the collision of me having had my own personal experiences and my personal journey. I talk about that a little bit in the book through mindfulness and how that really opened me up and helped me gain some self-awareness as to how unhappy I was in certain ways in my life and how I could step into this braver, lighter life. So wanting to share that that's possible with other people, just because for me, it hadn't felt possible for a long time. You know, it just was something that like, I felt like I was in this system and I felt like this was the way that my life was going to be. And it wasn't bad, you know, but it was just sort of, um, it was really, really transformative, my mindfulness. So I want to share that with the world. And then also just noticing like the collision of that with my clinical work and seeing that other people are going through very similar processes in their own lives. Yeah. And something that I found so interesting about when I heard about your book, it was mindfulness as, you know, kind of the umbrella. Mm -hmm. but I don't think it was really a mindfulness book. I think it was mm -hmm. more a book from you writing mm -hmm. about the wisdom that you have gained over the years. So if anyone hears mindfulness and said, I read about 10 mindfulness books, we'll skip this one. Definitely not, because it's very different. It's, it's yeah. much more, I would say it's not about the practice of mindfulness. It's much more about you know, it was the, the magic and the wisdom that comes with it and that comes through you. So it's it's definitely a different book than just a mindful, just a mindfulness book. Yeah. And thanks for naming that so well, because that was my intention, you know, because there are so many amazing mindfulness books out there that can help us learn the practice of mindfulness and understand what exactly it is and get at the research behind why it's helpful for us. And, um, and like what you said in the very beginning, you know, when I set out to write this book, I wanted to make it personal, you know, how mindfulness has touched my life and how universal that experience can be, you know? So this is how it impacted my own personal life with the specifics of the context of my life, but we can take those lessons and those ideas and that wisdom 
that really does come from, I think the practice of being still and noticing what's going on inside of us and recognizing and shifting our relationship to it, to access this more meaningful life. Yeah. And that's, uh, you know, what you said about stuckness as a starting point. Why uh-huh. do you think being brave is so important when we want to get out of this stagnation? Yeah. I mean, I think that we need, it's the other side of the coin, you know? So the first side of the coin is self-awareness. You know, it's this idea of what's happening for me. How am I feeling in my life? Am I feeling stuck? Are there things that I'm yearning to do and I'm not doing, you know? So once we have that self-awareness, that's just the first step. It's a big step, but it's the first step. It's not going to take us anywhere. And being brave is the other side of that coin. So it's okay. You know, how can I take what I've discovered about myself and make meaningful change in my life. And I think that for most of us, that requires an element of bravery to varying degrees. You know, I mean, I think especially depending on what we're talking about, but oftentimes the reason why we're stuck or the reason why we haven't done the thing or why we're still in a system that's not working is because we're scared. You know, I talked about that too. It's the fear that's holding us back, even if it's not super conscious, you know? So it's just this idea of keeping the status quo. And like I was saying before, like things aren't that bad. And, you know, so it really, I think does take an element of bravery to shake things up. I mean, you talk about the stories that we are nicely building around us, and especially those stories that keep us in the familiar comfort zone, no matter how actually uncomfortable it gets. Mm -hmm. But you know, when you say brave and gutsy, a lot of people would say, well, that's not me. That's, you know, it's someone else. I'm too old. Mm -hmm. I'm too weak. Mm -hmm. I'm too whatever. What, how would you make being brave accessible to everyone? Because it's obviously something we all have inside of us, but we don't believe it. Right. Yeah. And that was also part of the foundation of this book. It's that bravery isn't and doesn't, it can be those big, big movements and changes and really shaking things up, but it's also in the very small, small moments, you know, so it's learning to speak up more for yourself. If somebody's wronged you or you're feeling hurt and you're, you've been taught or you've, you've been reinforced that it's good to be quiet and good to sort of make people around you happy at the sacrifice of your own, your own happiness and your own needs. So being brave can be speaking up and saying something like, Hey, you know, like that, that hurt me. Can we talk about that? Um, being brave can be, you know, the small things that, that come up at work, you know, if there's something that you really want to do, or you feel like a boundary has been crossed because you've, you know, you've repeatedly asked for this assignment not to be given to you. And then it's saying, you know, this, this doesn't, you know, this is, we discussed this, this doesn't work for me. So uh, bravery is in those small moments. And then when we really like make that shift with how we relate to bravery, those small moments build, you know, so it's this small moment and it's that small moment. And it's how I parent my child. And it's how I show up for my partner. If I'm in a relationship. And that becomes a different way of life. You know, it's a more empowered, confident, and hopefully fulfilling way of life. So it's about being, on the one hand, your advocate, you know, advocating for yourself and what you need. And on the other hand, also being more authentic. Because a lot of times we live in a more toned down version of ourselves. And I remember when I was a resident in, in cardiology, how I was at one point on a Friday night brave to just ask my boss, which literally everyone admired as the half God in white. I mean, there was, you know, barely anyone daring to talk to him. And he came to my ward and and I just asked him if he actually, you know, is stressed or if, you know, he puts a lot on his plate and how he deals with it. So we had a really just normal human being to human being conversation. And that changed completely our relationship because I think also that me being authentic made him more authentic. And since ever then, you know, we had actually really some kind of a 
yeah, no more this hierarchy that happens. So bravery mm -hmm. can also just be authenticity. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And that's such a beautiful story because I think that's something that's so relatable to all of us, you know, that there's someone in our lives or, you know, that we're not bringing our most authentic self to the picture and, and without even realizing it. And that creates barriers. And I think that there is tremendous bravery in practicing authenticity and tremendous rewards. Like what, you know, your story. So what was one of the bravest things you did in your life? Yeah, wow, <laughs> that's a good question. Um, and I talk about this, you know, I, I, I try to not make my book about my own story, but to include it just because it felt meaningful. And that was where this definitely is came from. Um, so I think something for me that stands out as a brave choice is growing up, you know, I grew, I grew up in New York, and I was the youngest of a large family in a system in a very religious world that um, is beautiful in many ways and works for many people and me noticing that it wasn't working for me, mm. you know, and so learning to in my early 20s learning to attend to that, you know, like the dissatisfaction or feeling like I was in the system and doing rituals that felt, uh, you know, that weren't leading me towards a more meaningful path in my own life, and really allowing myself to take a step back and reevaluate and make changes for myself, you know, so to learn to find spirituality and um, yeah, I guess spirituality and connection in my own way that felt meaningful. And so that was hard to do because a lot of times when you're in these systems and there's the cultural, there's the cultural pressures and the family pressures, you know, in the very beginning too, it's easier to keep the status quo, especially it's not terrible. You know, I think sometimes like we grab, like if it's really, really bad, we might find it easier to be brave, you know, or if it's really, really good, then we feel really content. But what do we do with like the shades of gray, you know, like when we're in the middle and there's things that are working, but we're also not feeling really meaning, you know, meaning in a lot of what we're doing. And I think that becomes the nuance becomes harder to meet ourselves in and to find ourselves and to find wisdom and to be brave. And so for me, it was sorting through what I grew up with religiously and then reclaiming my own spiritual practice and making change, you know, making a lot of changes, which was hard to do and and felt brave to do i really loved in your book the story where you uh got permission to not have to cover your hair entirely and how that yeah. made a big difference for you so i'm yeah. wondering if this you know having to have permission is also something that sometimes we have to look for maybe giving it ourselves maybe hearing from other people who did it as well that we can model after maybe reading your book i mean mm -hmm. this there seems to be something that holds us back yeah. from saying yes and uh, yeah. what suggestions do you have yeah I, I think that is the power of community and social support and role models is that and when I use the word permission, it wasn't that someone had told me you are allowed to do this. And then I said, okay, now I'm allowed to do this. It was recognizing that there was a different way, you know, and I think that sometimes, and depending on the context of each specific person, depending on, on what we're talking about with being brave, we don't, we're, we're in a system or we're doing the thing, or it could be even be like career choice, right? Like your family's always, you know, all the people in your family have gone to this kind of school, doctors, lawyers, you know, and like, that's the pressure. And that's what you feel like you need to be. And then you meet someone who's done something different and you realize like, oh, there, there could be a different way for me. Um, and so permission, I think is really an openness. Like it's an openness to explore and it's an openness. I think it's like a permission to get out of our own way. Like that's sort of how I use it. And that's how I um, embrace the different way of life for myself. Like this idea of like, I don't have to stay in my head and like, and unhappy in my head with my thoughts about how I'm living my life. I can 
give myself permission to notice those thoughts. Again, that's like the mindfulness piece, set them aside and explore a different way of life. You know, like we've got this one life to live and it's ours and we get to make choices about how we live it. And I think that that's a very powerful thing that we can all learn from and do. And do you feel like that in order to really go for it, that we have to also have self-acceptance? You know, I think, I mean, your clientele, my clientele, I think there is a growing sense of not being good enough, a growing comparison and competition with, you know, total strangers that are somehow out there or either on social media or you know, whatever in the media where we're just in, in general feeling, well, we can never measure up. I mean, in your book, you talk about perfectionism and uh, that can also be a route for anxiety. How do we gain more self-acceptance? How can we disconnect from all these outer influences that seem to always repeat the same message? You need to be different or you need to be the way we want you to be especially women, but men too. And, you know, it starts very young. I'm really feeling often so empathetic for, you know, the, the teenagers and earlier that are just so drilled into yeah. having to be and conform and, uh, and excel. How do you just really resolve that inside of yourself and gain more self-acceptance? Self-acceptance. I mean, I think self, the way that I think about it is learning to be brave and access more meaning in our life. It's kind of like a pizza pie, you know? So there's different slices of the pie that we need to be, or that we can use to help us be brave. And self-acceptance is like a big piece of that pie. I think that if we are struggling with self-acceptance, I think that's going to confuse us as to what we truly want. And that's, you know, I talk about that finding our inner wisdom and part of finding inner wisdom is finding inner, like really, really, really holding on to our self-worth that that's something untouchable, that that's something that nothing and no one could impact and never has. And I think what happens, unfortunately for a lot of people is somewhere along the way, our self-worth, you know, it, it feels like it's, it's diminished or because of messages we've got and because of experiences we've had, and that can sort of like confuse us and make us feel like, okay, well, you know, lead, lead us to other ways of being that aren't leading us towards that path of fulfillment, you know? So I'm overcompensating or, I, you know, I'm trying to over, because I'm feeling like there's something unworthy about me, I'm getting myself into relationships with people who reinforce that, or I feel like the other, you know, or I feel like I have to overcompensate and become a perfectionist and like really prove my self-worth um, because inside I'm feeling unworthy. And so if we're able to sort of separate that out and really get at the self-worth piece and really hone in on that. And, and, you know, all this said, you know, like the book, I hope can be a good resource for that, but so can therapy, you know, in terms of that's something that's accessible for people who are listening in terms of self-exploration and understanding where the shaky self-worth comes from and how to build greater self-worth. Um, that I think that's like one of the, one of the pillars, you know, for thinking about pillars of finding meaning that is a pillar. And, you know, when it comes to self-worth, do you talk about uh, self-worth that, you know, you base on your accomplishments or do you base it on your innate self-worth, you know, the, you know, your yeah. gifts and qualities inside? Yeah. It's, it, so when I use self-worth and I differentiate it from self-esteem, like self-esteem is like, and that, that's important too, again, so pizza pie, right? So being connected to values and, and doing things that give us a sense of purpose and that we feel like we're successful at 
is an important piece of self-esteem and confidence, you know, but self-esteem comes from the external things, you know, oh, I'm, you know, I'm pursuing this education that makes me feel good or this job or these hobbies. And I feel good about myself because of that. And that's important, but that's not self-worth. Self-worth is this idea of, I am inherently a good person who is deserving of a certain kind of treatment from the people around me. So I being getting in relationships with people who want to hear my feelings, who validate my, you know, like my, my needs and my emotions are important. And so self-worth is like this internal sense of I'm good. I'm good. I'm good just as I am. And see, sometimes people get confused with that because then people feel like, oh, well, that means that you don't have self, you know, work to do on yourself. And, you know, and that's not what we're talking about either. Actually, when we really hold on to our self-worth and we really feel like we are inherently good, it makes it easier to do our own work. I mean, we've all got things that we need to work on, but if we're feeling, if that's coming from this like strong foundation of like, but I believe I'm inherently a good person and I'm okay. And I don't need other people's approval. It's easier for me to take a look at, like, look in the mirror and say, you know, and I also need to work on this thing, you know, like maybe for someone like anger, you know, I, I really need to work on my reactivity and my, with my kids or my partner or whoever, you know, so it's easier to really own that and get out of our egos. I think when we embrace that internal sense of goodness. Yeah. And you did it beautiful in the book. Uh, you had these questions that uh, you asked readers to ask themselves uh, about self-acceptance. And I'm just going to read them. Uh, Can I take myself as I am in this very moment with all that I am, with my strengths, my challenges, my weaknesses, and my fears? Can I allow them just to, uh, to just be and withhold judgment? Can I allow my humanity just to exist? I just think it's a it's a beautiful way to remind yourself that it is really about the core of who we are and all those other layers. They are our responsibility. We can choose when and how to address them, but that that the core, the self acceptance, is our is our birthright. It's one of the greatest challenges, certainly, but it's certainly also our birthright. And I always think about babies that still haven't forgotten how to accept themselves because they're mm -hmm. just crying and screaming and pooping and whatever, and mm -hmm. they just accept themselves. And then somehow we forget, somehow yeah. we are told it's not okay anymore to accept yeah. ourselves. And I think, I mean, you have children, so yeah. how do you help your children to remain in that place of self-acceptance? Yeah, you know, as I heard you talk about kids and how we lose it along the way, I had that thought, you know, and we'll see what my kids say when they're all grown, but you know, it's sort of this idea of really trying to, you know, mod model. So I think it's too, it's modeling to them what it, what it looks like, you know, to embrace my, our, as a parent, my self-worth, you know, that like pursuing things that are interesting to me or going with friends or, you know, like just, they see that I have things that make me feel happy and good and, you know, and, and prioritizing sort of that, that self-care me time, and it's also how, like how I like, you know, just the messages that I hope that they're getting from me and reinforcing that, that, you know, I, I tell them outright, you know, like you're amazing, you're magical, you know, like you are inherently worthy. And I don't know, you know, I know growing up, I didn't get those messages and maybe some people did and they know to pass that on to their kids. I didn't necessarily get that. And so I, I feel like that's a big part of it. Just letting them know that. Um, and I think what you're saying too, like practicing like openness and authenticity at home with our kids, you know, so when I mess up or when, you know, like it's just, it's owning, it, it's talking about it. You know, I'm really, really sorry for doing that. How did that make you feel? So really making space for their experience of things and their feelings um, and providing a lot of empathy for that. And I think that that's how we um, 
you know, it doesn't sound like it's like, you know, this direct relationship to self-worth, but it is, you know, like when we grow up feeling like our feelings are important and we are important and we're allowed to have different experiences than our parents or feel differently about things. We feel like we're a worthy person. We're like, I'm my own person. And I, you know, and my feelings deserve respect. You know, and I think this would probably, you know, have a huge impact on our whole planet if we all would really raise our kids like that. But uh, I think we just have to have more reminders like yourself that this is really the most important thing we can do for our kids, not the extracurricular activities, not when they're in the kindergarten already think about how they get in college, really just working on that foundational piece of accepting themselves because life is hard enough the challenges yeah. are big enough if we yeah. are really not feeling that solidity inside i think those challenges can easily just become overwhelming and and too much yeah 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 uh, to 100% and at, like as you're talking i'm thinking too like wouldn't that be cool if that's something that we can all learn to bring to the relationships with the people that we have around us on small levels and big levels this idea of curiosity authenticity knowing that we're entitled you know like we all have our own perspective on things and our own opinion and it's okay for other and not not only is it okay people will see the world in a different kind of way than me and making space for that you know mm -hmm. like i, I I think that that would, gosh, that would be such a cool thing to start to see a shift in our world because there's so much contempt. Well, I think the world needs a shift and maybe that's exactly the shift it needs away from, you know, this just uh, feeling more separate from each other, feeling more focusing on what is actually not working with ourselves or with others to really going to acceptance. Because I think Personally, when you accept yourself, it's much easier to accept others. And yeah. uh, because there is a, a certain sense of kindness and compassion also with your flaws. And speaking of kindness, that was really interesting about in your book, too, that you said for life, it's really important to find a balance between a word a lot of people don't like, which is mm -hmm. discipline mm -hmm. and kindness. And, yeah. uh, and I thought, you know, this is I really believe in discipline as being the disciple of yourself, being the servant of yourself. But uh, it was really nice how you laid it out. So what, what would you say is the, the balance that really needs to be found in this regard? Yeah, and so it's the discipline kindness equation is something that runs through my mind a lot, actually, you know, you know, like is what is the choice that I'm doing kind, you know, or is it in the name of discipline to get, you know, to get me to do the thing that I need to do. And I really feel like to, accomplish the things that we really accomplish, we want to accomplish, whether it's professionally or in our personal lives, we need that, we need to find that balance. And that balance is subjective for each person and depending on what we're talking about within that person. But really what it means is to get things done, or even like what we were saying before, to take accountability as a parent, to do our own work, we need discipline, reading books, going for therapy for ourselves. If we feel like we need that to process old stuff that we're coming into parenthood with, you know, so the discipline to show up and do hard work balanced with kindness. So that means making sure that our discipline and that approach doesn't become rigidity and harshness, you know, where it's, um, I'm berating, I, I didn't do it the way that I wanted to, or I didn't show up this one time. And so now I'm, I'm talking, you know, really negatively about myself or feel really, really bad about myself. Like I'm a bad person. That's where we move into like harshness and, and sort of like this cruel way of being with ourselves. So kindness is how do we meet ourselves when we make mistakes, when we don't show up 
And also making sure that like, we're not being relentless, like these relentless soldiers, like push, 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 you know, like now it's time, now it's time to take a break, you know, or now I need a little bit of space to myself. Um, like an example that I put in the book, this is a, like a very uh, small example, but I think it really does paint, paint the picture in terms of what this means in terms of finding that balance, you know, like I talk about taking the stairs up to my office at work, you know, so there's four flights of stairs. And uh, before COVID, I would always try and take the stairs because there was another way of just getting a little bit more movement in my day because I sit a lot during the day. Um, and that, you know, some days you get up early and it feels like, oh, I don't want to have, I want to just take the elevator. But to me, discipline felt like, no, this is actually, this is good. My body wants to move. I'm going to be sitting. So I have the discipline to take the stairs. Kindness would be on the mornings when I'm carrying, you know, five different bags and a hot cup of coffee in my hand, and that might spill all over me if I'm trying to take the step. So, okay, today I'm going to take the elevator because that's what I need to do today, you know, or it's really, really hot outside. We were just talking about the heat before and the staircase is sweltering and that's just going to be really uncomfortable for my body. So I'm going to take the elevator today. So it's, it's like, it's a small example, but I think it does really portray this idea of like, okay, well, where am I at? Where's the discipline and where's the kindness? And I think that line shifts. So that's really, really an art form for ourselves, because we have been raised, most of us, with this idea that discipline is more something harsh. And so, you know, it's something that also comes with when you don't really have it, you're lazy, or mm -hmm. you get punishment or negative outcomes. So seeing discipline as actually really being of service to yourself, and then seeing the kindness also as a way of not letting you just self off the hook, but actually giving something else to yourself. I remember when I had this discipline of every morning, very early going to the gym, and then mm -hmm. I realized, wow, this becomes my own imprisonment. And so laying in bed and checking in and do I really want to go today and not going, it uh -huh. felt like free, it felt amazing. And so that kind of kindness is also a form of service. Bose is a form of service. And when you are, and that's at least personally what I find, when we are using discipline and we're really pushing ourselves beyond this little, we call it in German, the inner swine dog, which I have no idea what it means, but it's just something, this little voice that says, no, don't do it. It's not really so important. Just sit there and have your ice cream. And when you go beyond that with a discipline, with your own commitment, I feel it's so important then afterwards to really congratulate yourself, to be nice to yourself, to appreciate yourself. And that's what we often, I find we didn't get, mm -hmm. you know, we, mm -hmm. I was always, you know, best in class, but did I really get the approval for it that I really wanted or hoped for? No. Yeah. And so many of us do the same to ourselves. For sure. I, and I couldn't agree with you more. You know, I, I think that we focus so much on like the beginning of the process, like getting ourselves to show up and okay, it's this morning. Yes. I, I feel like I really do want to go to the gym and it's good for my body. And this is, you know, in the name of discipline and kindness, cause you're right there, they're linked. Um, I'm going to get myself to go. And then, and then we're done with our workout. And then we just go like, okay, and now I need to do this. And now I need to do that. And we don't like spend enough. And we, I think I know speaking from my own personal experience from, you know, clinical, the clinical work that I do with clients that I work with, we really don't create enough pauses after we've done the hard thing and after we, you know, just to even whether it's something practical, you know, like, so it's a little pick me up. Oh, I'm going to get myself a nice coffee because I just did something hard or it's just, and I think this is even more powerful. Sometimes it's just sitting with that feeling. It's like, Oh, I just did something amazing. And my body feels great. And go me. That was hard. You know, like just, just for a brief little moment. And we all, and people say, I don't have time. I'm so busy. That's silly. Like we have enough time to like, let the feeling sink in and like, notice how light our body feels and 
what the sense of pride feels in our body. Like we can all do that. You know, we all, we can all make enough time in our day to access those feelings as well. And you also, in this regard, write about the not being 110%, but really being 60% rule. Uh -huh. That's what's really fascinating because I think, you know, this is certainly challenging in a gutsy way other people's perfectionistic belief system. So, so what would you say, when does that rule apply? Yeah, and I've gotten a lot of questions about that rule because it really does challenge the norm of what, what do you mean? You've got to give it your all and then some. And so what do you mean 60%? Like that sounds like ridiculous. You know, you're not going to get anything done if you give it 60%. And so, and I put this in the book, you know, like it's not like this general rule of thumb. And I think this is where the self-awareness comes from. Like we know ourselves, you know, am I using that 60% rule where I only, you know, have to give it 60% to get myself off the hook or because I, I just don't feel like doing it or, you know, or is it really coming from like this intentional mindful place of, I don't need to always push myself that hard showing up and, and show and being present is enough sometimes, you know, without push with all that pushing. And I think for perfectionists, and I wrote this in my book too, oftentimes the people who are reading self-help books tend to probably follow down that path of like, okay, I got to be better. And I want to work on myself. Um, it's this idea of we can hold things with a little bit of a lighter touch, like let go. It's okay. And I learned, I heard that 60% rule from a yoga class. I was taking a mindful yoga class and a long, a long time ago when I was actually pregnant with my daughter, which was a long time ago. And, um, And the yoga teacher, well, she wasn't, it wasn't, it was a, a yoga class for everyone. It wasn't like a prenatal yoga class, but she just said to everyone, like, give it, give it 60%. And in that moment for me personally, because I was in this like, you know, pregnant phase of my life doing a yoga class and I'm a, perf you know, I was a really staunch perfectionist, you know, at the time I've worked through it a lot since then, but it was just an eye opener. Like, oh, oh, my body right now doesn't need to do 110%, you know, in this state that I'm in. And And I could celebrate me being here and doing the yoga in the way that feels right for me at a 60% level and feel really good about that. You know, like not then after the, you know, I and we probably like perfectionists can relate to this after you do the workout, but you let yourself walk some of the times that have run, you're like, oh, I didn't do such a good job of that one. You know, tomorrow hopefully I'll run, I'll run the whole time or whatever it is. Um, but just to, to feel really good about what we did do. You know, and it's really, for me, the interpretation was also that if you're giving 60% to one area, then you still have 40% to all other areas and automatically your life becomes more full. I mean, I personally yeah. have given 110% to one small mm -hmm. aspect of my life and there was nothing left. And then you wonder right. why your life is not really as harmonious and balanced as it should be. For sure, totally. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree with that too. So is there anything that you would say that, you know, if you had one advice for people that are really needing the more gutsiness in their life? What would that be? The one thing that you would like them to take away? I think the one thing that I would like people to take away is this idea of learning, because I think it's something we can all do starting from like this moment and on to create little pauses for yourself where you check in with yourself and you ask yourself, how am I doing in this moment? You know, like I, the way that I like, how's my body? Where are my thoughts? Where are my emotions? Because that creating a little bit of stillness and a little bit of pause hopefully can create more of that self-awareness and in a very gentle and compassionate way, right? So it's not like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm upset about what I find when I check in with myself. It's more like, oh, wow, this is here for me. This is here. And I think that that's the start. That's the, that's the starting point, you know, this is here. And now what, what am I going to do with that? That's beautiful. And what would you think would happen if 
really this would be a movement if people would read your book they would take in what you're saying and and this would be like you know really something that becomes global how would the world be different i mean that would be so awesome you know and i think that a lot of people are trying <laughs> to do <dream>. this <laughs> a lot of people are trying to do this work i mean a lot of my role models and the people that i look up to people who brought mindfulness over to the west the western world and trying to make it accessible to everyone and more accessible um, I think, you know, they're on that mission too, because there's so much beauty in accessing a more mindful, intentional, compassionate life that generalizes to the people around us. And so, I mean, wow, wouldn't that be so amazing if, and you were saying this before too, you know, like that we can have compassion for other people without self-compassion, but if we have self-compassion, we can have even more compassion, you know, like we're open to like just a more connected, more authentic um, a more beautiful life. And so I think that that would be like so neat if more and more of us would, you know, do some of this mindfulness work and yeah. And which is really why working on yourself is always something that will eventually also affect all those around you in a positive way. So there is nothing selfish about it, which I know some people always think, yeah. oh, I shouldn't focus so much on myself. That's self-indulgent, but it's it's ultimately giving back in big ways afterwards or during your working on yourself. So read For the sure. book. So tell people how they can find the book and how they can find you and all the stuff that they need to know. Oh, thank you. Okay. So the book is on, it's sold wherever uh, major retailers where books are sold and on Amazon and on Audible. Um, so that's where my book is. And I, my website's drleahkatz.com. And I'm also on Instagram quite a bit. I post mental health tips almost daily. And um, that's been a fun endeavor too. Yeah. And it's really great. I mean, your posts are amazing and they're always so beautifully written and so just, you know, calmly inspirational. They're not some, you know, in your face, something shock effect. It's like really like you just portray uh, an energy that makes you immediately feel like, ah, I'm seen and understood, which is really kind of uh, amazing how you do that. So I, I really appreciate your posts and your book and your work. So thank you so much for being an Empowerment Solutions. And I hope we can talk again because you have so much wisdom to share. Well, thank you for having me. This has been a lovely conversation. Thank you. <laughs>